Hey, how's it going, everybody? Welcome back to another episode here. And so we got a couple of things to talk about. And uh, as pretty cool as it is um, having these different segments kind of isolated, so that way um, specific topics you might be interested in will be available on the YouTube side. But, you know, full podcast on Anchor and other podcast sources. So, anyways, uh, first topic I have, which I think is actually superly laughable. This is ridiculous. But it says, and this is actually um, posted up by Gizmodo, Twitter may start labeling your tweets based on da, 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 how wrong you are. <laughs> All right, let's get into this one. It says, Twitter is one of the many social companies that struggled to keep misinformation from running rampant on this platform over the years. Its latest attempt to move the needle looks to be a tiered warning label system that chooses based on how wrong you are, according to the at researcher. Jane Manchun Wong. So far, there are three levels of misinformation warning labels. Get the latest. Stay informed and misleading. <laughs> How accurate a tweet is determined if Twitter system if Twitter systems tack on one of these three labels, each of which includes a prompt directing users to additional information. The <laughs> wow. Alright, l- let me speak on this, okay? First of all, I'm not going to trust a social platform to tell me what is correct information, what is incorrect information, Um, much less do I even think that, like, there are so many wrongs with this, because even like it says, it it will give you a prompt to where you can go to get correct information. But what if the source it's citing to say that it's correct information happens to be wrong information or happens to be information that they want you to believe rather than what is factual see today on social media we struggle with this whole thing of uh fact checking and you know who's right who's wrong whose point of view is correct which is actually you know a really funny thing to say someone's point of view would actually be factual uh when it's based upon emotions and thought processes that you know vary from human to human but nonetheless this is ridiculous in by all forms. Ridiculous. Now, I get what they're trying to do. They're trying to stop uh, misinformation from being spread, right? If something is put out there and then other people want to take that and contort it, i.e. 5G caused the virus, um, you know, then yes, misinformation is said there. There, there, there needs to be um, you know, a point of reference. So I do see where this could be beneficial, okay? I'm playing devil's advocate here. I'm seeing the good and the bad. The bad side is, is that if, like, say, someone wants to put out something that's actually factual, something political, for instance, right? And, you know, certain politicians want people to think a certain way, can use Twitter, the platform, which they already have been doing this, um, to sway people to think a certain way by stating that a certain thing said on Twitter is misleading and then direct a link to a site that happens to just coerce people into thinking a certain way. This is not something I shy away from on my podcast. I will point it out there. And I'm not saying which side is correct and which side is wrong. People can argue that over on their own free time. But I'm just saying that it does happen. For years, um, certain things have come up in the media to sway the population to think and believe a certain way. And that's, you know, that's something that um, 
has been going on for quite some time now. So this just only feeds into that fire. Because it's still going to become questionable. If someone was to tweet something and Twitter wants to deem it misleading, then where it's going to cite the source, how true is that source to the facts? How you know credible is that site to the facts? Again, that's just one of the major major things that I worry about with social platforms. And today, social platforms are ranking in disgust of just what they're allowing to be said out there. Twitter's not the only one. Facebook also does it too. Facebook, you can't post anything if it goes against the grain. If you are an individual thinker and think against the grain, you will be hidden on Facebook. But if you think like everybody else, you will be pushed. And... You know, when people are like, well, which side does Facebook lean towards? Well, you just have to go on Facebook yourself to see for yourself, and you'll figure out the answer to that question. I'm not here to answer that. I am just here to say that social platforms are starting to become a nuisance rather than becoming a fun place to be, which is why a lot of people are at the point right now where they're deleting their social platforms, and they're breaking the chain, and they're quote-unquote unplugging from the matrix because they are tired of of this nuisance, this nonsense, this type of thing. See, social platforms used to be fun to where you could just go and have fun. You could just go and 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 post pictures and have laughs with your friends, comment on each other's stuff, joke around, video call each other, find someone that you hadn't seen in like, you know, so many years and reconnect with them. It was that type of thing. But now it has become a political battlefield for people to, to, to share their political views, which I don't have anything wrong to say about that. Like there's no, I wouldn't stop anyone from doing that, but the way the toxicity levels in that pool is, we get our toxicity meter here, it's actually at an all-time high because people no longer are, are wanting to share their thoughts and accept critical thinking and feedback. People want to share their thoughts, and if you don't agree with them, I'm going to cancel you. And that is the current situation that we live in today with social media platforms. So for Twitter to make a, like a move like this and to sit there and say, okay, we're going to start labeling your tweets if they are correct, if they are slightly off, or if they're just totally misleading, I think that is a bad move for the platform itself. One that is trying to grow itself into like a mega platform now that it's added things like Spaces, which is a competitor to Clubhouse. It's, it's added Fleets, which is a competitor to Snapchat. You can upload short videos on Twitter. I think like two minutes long is Max, which competes against TikTok. Microblogging, which is what it was originally known for. Photo sharing. So yeah, it's, it's doing all these weird things and I have to question the integrity of Twitter because I've watched the Senate grill Jack Dorsey and his incoherent thoughts and his space age look and his really off the wall answers to every question being asked of him. And to be quite honest, I don't trust Twitter at all. So shall we just put a label under the Twitter icon on our smartphones that says misleading? I don't know. (laughs) Only time will tell. Only time will tell. But until then... Speaking of ditching the Matrix, if you guys want to say it that way, um, there are some people who are just like, they have wrapped up majority of their time being on social platforms day in, day out. I mean, they go to work, every chance they get on the job site, they sneak on their phone and check social platforms, they check messages, they want to see what people are up to uh, when they're driving, they're... 
you know, they're on it. So there are people who are considered to be heavily addicted to social platforms. But what should one do if they are so fed up and tired of the utter stupidity and argument warfare and the the divisive tactics that's being done on social platforms such as Facebook, Twitter, I would love to say Google Plus, but Google Plus is not here anymore. Just a call back to Google Plus for anyone that was on Google Plus like myself. Google Plus was awesome. I really couldn't throw them in there on that. I highly doubt it would be. It would be that. Because a lot of the things that Twitter and Facebook were very guilty of that people got irritated for, you never really found those things on Google Plus. But shout out to Google Plus. Rest in love in the Google graveyard. But what, what could one do that would actually help occupy their time to get them away from social platforms, to get them away from the, the, the day-to-day monotony of just always being on your phone and staring at a screen? Honestly, I feel like that we have to go back 25 years ago. We have to go back to the things that we love to do before smartphones started consuming our attention. Because if you go back 25 years ago, people, such as adults, did different things. You know, they would, moms and dads would make a, would make a special day out, a date night, and go out to like a nice jazz club or something, someplace with some lively music and would enjoy drinks together and conversations and dancing and having fun. Um, some people, you know, some adults went ahead and joined sports clubs, you know. I remember my dad used to constantly go and play racquetball just to, you know, stay active and move around and stuff like that. And on Saturdays, we used to go bike riding. I know because I was so tired from bike riding and my I had my little bike. <laughs> it didn't have training wheels. Uh, but I was about uh, six years old and we went bike riding and uh, my dad had his, you know, he had his bike, his 10-speed bike. My sister had her 10-speed her bike and I had me just, a, you know, like kind of like a BMX bike. And um, we would just go for a ride. My dad would just want to take us out for a ride. You know, um, families, since some states are opening back up, some, some families got to start doing the picnic thing again, like what I did on my, on my you know, thing yesterday. And I uploaded a vlog today to YouTube um, about it. Um, yeah, you know, just taking the kids to get out and have some outdoor activities. Of course, you want to be safe. You know, if your town still requires you to mask up, mask up. Carry sanitizer with you. You know, stay as clean as possible. Um, But yeah, you know, um, meet people at a park and set up to create groups to play basketball and have like a, you know, like a weekly, you know, basketball thing where everyone meets up and, you know, plays a couple of games, you know, go fishing, right? Get a fishing license and go fishing, get a hunting license and go hunting, you know, do more, go to the movies, go out to a restaurant Go for a walk. Go hiking. Go explore your city or your, your surrounding neighborhood and area. You know what I mean? There are a lot of things that you can do that can occupy your time and get you away to help you unplug from the matrix. Um, first of all, you'll be better for it. You'll feel a lot more calmer and a lot more relaxed if you do something like this because your attention is not focused on what on what's being shared on social platforms to either you know get you going or overhype you or stress you out like when you you know it's it's like reading it's like reading a horror story right you know you're you're terrified you're reading the words of the story you're terrified you're scared your heart's beating fast you're getting the clammy hands and the cold sweats 
But all you really got to do is just close that book. And that cuts your ties from you being in that in that realm of that horror story back to reality where you know you're safe. And I think that's what a lot of people need to do. I hate to say it, and I'm saying it like this. Shots fired at social platforms. But that is... That that's the gist of it. Like you just got to get out there. You got to get out there and live life. Go kayaking, you know. Um, go base jumping, you know. Do things. Live your life again. And for a lot of people that's around my age, that shouldn't really be hard for you guys to do because we were doing it before smartphones came around. But for the younger generation, that smartphones has always been around. It's been around since you were like nine years old, and your mom bought you your first iPhone and put it in your hand. You can separate from the social platforms. I'm not going to recommend other social platform sites for you to go to that you can de-stress from a lot of the stressful stuff that's posted on Facebook and Twitter because that's just really just replacing one poison for another. But I am going to recommend to a lot of people to get out there and, and get physically active again. Run. Go for a jog. You know, Go for a brisk walk. Go If you like taking photos, why not take your family outside and... Be a professional photographer for a day and take family photos and get those nice, those nice shots. You know, at the sunset of, of like some some really awesome background scenery with your kids and your wife or your husband in it. You know, go do those things, and you'll be surprised. You'll be surprised at just um, how much less stress you'll have. Because, yeah, when you look. At Facebook, and I mean seriously, if you if you don't believe me, you don't take my word for it. You can go and, and look at it yourself. Go to your Facebook feed and and count how many times in thirty minutes that you're scrolling through your feed. Count how many times do you see a post that has to do about you know, like a world issue or a national issue or a political point of view or politics or government you know conspiracies and all these things. Look through your Facebook post your Facebook feed. Look through your Twitter feed. See how many times you don't run into that. Count it, right? If you have already counted more than three, that's way too much for someone to handle. That is way too much for the human mind to grasp. I think that is the best medicine to detach and unplug from the matrix is to get you moving. So get out there and get on and finally, for the final, the final, final story for today's podcast, basically, this comes from Tech Radar. I don't have a singing voice. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Shameless joke. Shameless joke. Shameless, shameless joke. <laughs> Anyways, um, so basically from Tech Radar, it's talking about the Google Pixel 6 may not match the Galaxy S21, but it's true target. Is the iPhone 13. Hmm. Developing interesting story. It's true target is the iPhone 13. Hmm. Okay. Well, let's learn what this is all about. Um, They give a little quote here and it says, Opinion. The Whitechapel CPU isn't a powerhouse, but I'm not sure that matters. Okay. They go on to say, quote, Since we learned that Google and Samsung were co-developing a new chipset for the Google Pixel 6 meant to run on Android 12 more efficiently than a Snapdragon, I've been excited by the prospect of a stock Android phone with properly properly powerful specs. Then Google announced the new Material UUI with customizable color options across all apps. And it said, 
and said it was exclusive to pixels only, elevating my premature hype levels. My hype was tempered somewhat by the latest Pixel 6 leaks from data engineer. Hey, it's... Hey, it's Yogesh. 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 Uh, He leaked the news that the Pixel 6 test models match the Snapdragon 870 in performance. For context, it's a mid-range 2021 chipset, much slower than the Snapdragon 888, found in most 2021 flagships, such as the Galaxy S21. Yogesh emphasized in his tweet that Google isn't trying to match the Snapdragon 888, that its focus is on machine learning, which we already know this, okay? At Google I.O., they always talk about machine learning and AI, so... I don't know why this is coming as a shocker. It's fair to say that Google wants to attract Pixel buyers with a phone that seamlessly runs Android 12 software and Google Assistant, not by matching up pound for pound against Samsung or OnePlus. In fact, Google's immediate competitor will be the iPhone 13, which we expect to ship out September 2021 as well. Till then, we won't know how fast the Pixel 6 actually performs under pressure, but based on the recent leaks, my hopes are fading that Google will make a truly exciting phone. Here's why. And they want to go into a lot of detail specs. But look, here's the thing. Here's the thing I got to say about that, okay? Um, so what makes a great smartphone? Is it the is it the chipset that's in the phone itself? And if it happens to be that, then is it the power performance of that chipset? Does software optimization and fluidity not count anymore? Does... The attention to detail no longer count anymore. Is it all about the number, the serial number of the chipset and and how powerful it can be? The reason why I ask that question is because some of you guys may say, yes, it's got to be a powerful chip. But I'm going to go on a limb here and I'm going to call it and say 50-50 here. But 50% of consumers don't even use their smartphone to its full capabilities. Like, for instance, those that scream out, it's got to have a Snapdragon 800. Like the Pixel 5 had the 765G and people were like, why didn't they go with the 865? And I'm sure about 50% of those people that complained and complained and complained about not the 865 but 765G, about 50% of those people don't even use their phone to its full capacity. So even having a downgrade chip, they're still not even hitting close to the performance of what that downgraded chip can do. And I say this because, look, I'm going to call it out like it is. I'm a no BS type of guy, okay? I get that people want to look at the piece of paper and they want to be wowed by the specifications of said device. And to them, they're going to think, okay, this is a very powerful phone. I'm going to walk around with a powerful phone in my pocket. But what is the point of having a powerful phone in your pocket if you're not even using 37% of its capabilities? Most people... Take pictures, upload it to Instagram. Take pictures, upload it to Facebook. Record video, upload it to a video source platform. Okay? They may play games like, you know, Call of Duty, Mortal Kombat, Pokemon Go. That's about it. Right? They may watch things like Netflix and HBO Max and Hulu and Disney Plus and ESPN Plus and UFC and WWE. That's it. Let me tell you, those specific apps used on a device doesn't even accumulate 60% of what the chipset is able to do. So why even cry and complain? They say that the benchmark says that it's going to be roughly around the Snapdragon 870. Okay. 
Let's say it is that. Because we don't have the phone in hand. And we're going by off, okay, like what's, what someone uploaded, right? But the Potential 6 is not even released yet. The chipset, the GS101, a.k.a. Project Whitechapel, is not even done yet. Like, it's not... In you know, it's 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 not in its final stages. It's still being worked on. The kinks are still being worked out. The optimization of Android 12 to that chip is being solved and worked out. We're not even there yet, but we're already talking about we're gonna like give up on the Pixel 6 already. And I know in that article he didn't say he was giving up on it, but his hype kind of died down. Why can't the hype just be? Okay. Is the iPhone 13 the target? of the Google Pixel. Well, obviously, no, it's going to be because that is Google's rival. Okay, last year, they went a totally different, they took a totally, a totally different position. They went ahead and, and made a phone with moderate specifications to yield a moderate pricing compared to flagships of last year to put more pixels in people's hands. This year, they're going back to what they initially set out to do, which is bring out a Pixel device that consumers of all areas can look at and say, yo, this is a, a really good phone. Why not? You know? Um, yes, yeah, like, 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 like smartphones, people are going to be on the fence about everything. Some are going to like it, some are not. Some are going to like the design, some are not. And hey, that it is what it is. You know? But I'm just saying that it is really too soon to just write off the Pixel 6 just because of a benchmark that was taken that, okay, it's questionable. I say it's questionable because, you know, it could it could be valid, could not be valid. We don't know. We don't know everything about the benchmarks that was run to even say. But even then, why hang up on where the chip is going to perform? First of all, this is Google's first chip. I don't expect them to do it perfectly. I don't expect any tech company to do it perfectly. And shots fired. But if you think that a tech company should come out of the gate with a perfect product, you are a fool. Because if any tech company came out with a perfect product, then there wouldn't be a follow-up generation to it because the perfect product would still be it today. It would not fall by the wayside. So there's no such thing as a perfect product. There's no such thing as a you know, like what we used to say, you know, in, in, in my days of you know skateboarding and everything like that, first try, first try. We used to call out first try when you try to bust a trick on the area, and if you hit it and landed it, like first try, and everyone would just be like super stoked. It That doesn't apply in the tech world. So even if it is pretty much solidified that it's going to be like the Snapdragon 870, okay, fine, cool, much better than the Snapdragon 670. Okay, and the only things that I want out of the GS101 that would make me happy, not just content, but actually happy and excited for it, is that Android is optimized well, runs smoothly, commands run smoothly, and battery. If it can do all those things and run a high-performance game and still conserve battery, I am a happy camper. I'm just saying. Anyways, guys, thanks for listening to uh, the podcast for the week. Let me know what you guys think. Um, if you guys caught these individual clips, uh, let me know. 
uh, what you all think in the comments on the YouTube side. And yeah, that's pretty much it. I appreciate y'all for listening. Y'all been clutch. Thank you so much. And um, I'll see. Well, y'all hear me in the next one. And as always, law.